Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 364, recorded December 12th, 2021. I'm Michael Kennedy. 2023, but and I'm, and I'm Brian Aachen. 2023. <laughs> and you are Brian Aachen. And this episode is brought to you by all the things that we're doing that many of you support, and we really appreciate that. Courses over at Talk Python, mine, Brian's, other folks. The complete PyTest course over at Brian's site, Patreon supporters. Connect with us on Fostadon. We're all over there, including the, uh, the, the podcasts. And many of you who are listening at this very moment know, but many who are listening later may not. If you hear us say, hey, so-and-so said this in the audience. <laughs> if you would like to be in the audience, check out pythonbytes.fm slash live. Usually Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific time, just as it is now. We typically link from each show notes on the website, not in not as easily in the the podcast player show notes, but on the website you can get to the video version if you ever want to. Yeah. Although certainly not intended to be required. Brian, let's kick it off. Yeah, let's talk about um uh one of the things that is often around uh is uh, I'll this was gonna be one of my extras, but I'll just bring it up anyway. A um is the advent of code. So this, uh, we've covered this in years past, but, um, at adventofcode.com, there are, um, there are a bunch of, uh, things you can do to, uh, to, uh, a, a programming exercise and you can pick any language you want. And a lot of people do this and it's so much fun, but there's other ways to do advent of code. Um, and I really liked, I saw James Bennett is doing a Python Django advent calendar. And, this is super cool. He's just decided to do a, um, a a short blog post, possibly short, some not so short blog post about Python or Django every day during the 2023 advent. Um, and it's, it's pretty nice. The first one is uh, talking about enums and um, just a little, I mean, I mean, it's a good reminder that Python has enums, but also you can make them nicer by making sure that you assign values and it's easier even instead of just using enum, to derive a class from enum enum <laughs> and um and so that they're uh they're like you know the they're printable and stuff like that easier um the values are good uh so that's good one i really loved seeing a couple of his posts were around testing so there is this is pretty great this is uh don't mock python's httpx um and I don't, I have a plans to use HTTPX on a project, but I, I'm not using it right now, but I really thought this was a, a pretty cool little write-up. The, 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 there is a discussion really about different ways you might be able to mock, um, mock, uh, using your HTTPX part, but there's the obvious ways are probably not the, really the best. His recommendation is to, uh, is a, ref, a couple things, refactoring your code a little bit so that you can pass in a, HTTPX client, but then also using HTTPX's built-in mock transport. I didn't know HTTPX had a mock transport in there. You're grinning. Did you already know this, or do you have an opinion? I did about not. This? I'm just thinking that Kim in the audience has identified the fact that HTTPX is very sensitive, and we should not mock or tease it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm laughing. Okay, Thank you, Kim, okay. For the joke. Um, so and that concludes the joke segment of the, the podcast. <laughs> No, I didn't know this actually. This is really cool. I'm all about HTTPX. It is my default go-to HTTP client these days. When you do it request-like, it's like requests, but it also has async and it's it's very fine. And um, yeah, this this mock transport is pretty neat. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it's a little over my head right now because I don't do this yet, but 
Um, I think it's a cool thing to point out. And also I really think, I think it's a good idea, a cool idea. I mean, a lot of people do like, uh, writing a novel in November, but writing a little blog post, um, uh, during Advent, that's a pretty neat idea also. So good job. Yeah, That's a very interesting idea. So I also think it's an interesting idea that library creators may decide to provide their own mock stub API rather than just forcing you to guess what the internals might need. That's true. Yeah. Right. Because as a provider of the library, like, well, really, this is the thing you need. And really, there's these three things you should change. But if you call this function, we'll do that. Whatever. Right. Like they just know the internals better and let them do it. Yeah. And there's an example of using uh, of having a mock transport that just returns a uh, not found um, and being able to do that without going out outside of the library. I think that's a really cool idea. No, I mean, and, I, and we are seeing that more and more. Of frameworks deciding, well, people are going to have to test this. How do they do that? Um, and I think it's a good trend. To- nice. Tony Sherman points out, saw a similar thing in Boda 3 for AWS. So very cool. Right. Okay. Um, they, I, there's a, the other one that I thought is a short one is tester documentation talking about um, uh, doc test. And uh, um, I love throwing stuff like this in. Uh, uh, you, lo- you have a little uh, a doc string in your, in in your code to to show how it's used why not test those so you can use either doc test or you pytest can run your doc test tests as well so because of course it can yeah <laughs> it does all the things awesome. all right what you all got right. uh i'm going to drop into this next one here uh this next one is drop base now this from what i can tell it, right at the top it has a pricing <laughs> so it's not a free type of thing for you However, I think it's interesting enough to talk about it anyway. Not a sponsorship, just something Michael thinks cool. So it says build internal tools with just Python. It says, so you can build, it says full stack. Eh, let's call them forms over data web apps for your internal teams. Import existing Python scripts and quickly build layered UIs with granular permissions. So when you look at the thing itself, you're like, huh, I don't really know what this means or if this is interesting. Like they don't have a bunch of great uh, screenshots or whatever on their homepage. So what you'll see is like, you can go write a query. It's all sort of starts from a database, which is why I'm calling it forms over data. Okay. And that is like a user interface that lets you basically access the database with a little bit of rules and such. So the idea, if I recall correctly, I looked at this last week is what you do is you write a SQL query against a database like Postgres or something. Okay. okay. And that will give you a result that looks kind of like kind of like Excel-ish, static, doesn't do anything. But then you can click and say, make this a smart table type thing, okay? So then it becomes sortable, editable, and so on, right? So all the results, you can just turn that into a grid that people can edit and it goes back to the database. You can create a so-called master detail type of view. So in the example on the homepage, they have a workspaces and then each user belongs to a particular there's a bunch of users that belong to each workspace. So you can do um, a relationship where you say, I'm going to, if you click on one part of the screen, fill the other part of the screen with, say, the users of that workspace. So if you like select uh, the workspace in the top grid, it'll like fill it out all the users at the bottom. You turn that into a smart thing, then you can edit it and you can do things like click a button to whatever. In their example, it says, if you assign somebody to a workspace or change their role, you can click a button to send them an email, like their new status in that workspace. That code is written in Python, right? And you can plug in functions behind all this stuff and all that code there is written in Python. So you want kind of a, 
a real quick way to, if you've got a little SQL skill, a little Python skill, build this cascading UI type thing. Uh, there you go. It's pretty cool. That is pretty neat. Yeah, pretty yeah. neat. And, you know, they they also have uh, some widgets and stuff, I believe, like uh, sidebars, search bars, et cetera. Um, but yeah, then you write a bunch of that in, in Python and it's it's super cool. So I think that could be quite useful for folks if they want to go and check that out. And, you know, you're not trying to build some new super fancy looking app. You just like, I just need to provide kind of this relationship stuff and a little bit of Python to do a little bit of work on, on my UI. So people can check that out. I think there's a free tier. Let me look. Yeah, there's a free tier that has up to three users. And then for teams, like if you want teams, you can pay more. So again, not an advertisement, but, you know, UIs built with Python, even though we go on and on about them, they're often a rarity. So when we get a chance to talk about them, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. And semi-related, sort of, I'm going to have Samuel. Remember last week we talked about fast UI? Yeah. Samuel Cullen reached from Pydantic reached out and said, hey, we should talk more about this. Uh, it's a brand new thing we're trying to do interesting things with. So I'm going to have him on Talk Python technically next week, but it's going to be recorded next week and then released later. So Like in anyway. April or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that, right. <laughs> Something probably January. Okay. Anyway, uh, well, more on that uh, over there. But drop base people and check that out. And if All people right. do, it'd be cool if they could like shoot us a note and see if it's like it turns out to be cool or not. Yeah, I would love to hear back. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe Kim could sh- save some time because Kim says uh, the description of this tool pretty much describes my job. But yep. Very cool. <laughs> anyway, um, I'd like to talk about uh, uh, the structural pattern matching a little bit so we have covered structural pattern matching and talked about it before this came out when in uh can't remember which 310 brought us structural pattern matching way back in 310 um how young were we then brian <laughs> so young. A different world anyway the uh um the tutorial is pretty good as uh, so this is from ned batch elder real world match case um so um, the, he comments that the tutorial is pretty good and it is. However, um, uh, the example is a little bit of a toy example and, um, and it, it's nice to see, see this really in action. So here's a real world, uh, use case. Um, Ned's got a GitHub bot installed as a webhook and it returns back. So every time something happens on a repo, it sends back a payload of JSON data to the bot and the bot's got to figure out what to do with it. And it's uh, so it turns that JSON into a nested set of dictionaries. Um, and anybody that's uh, that's dealt with um, JSON return data, uh, that's what you get. You get a bunch of nested dictionaries. So how do you deal with that? Well, uh, there there was um, his his this example shows that the match case um, or the structural pattern matching match case works really great to match this. So uh, this example looks uh, for for events that happen. And for each event, they matches it just to look to see if there's an issue and a comment. And and so one of the cases is looking at the the content of that. So you've got these nested dictionaries. You can and you can deep, dig deep into the nested. Here it's just one layer down, a couple layers of nested dictionaries. But still, you could go deeper if you wanted to to match that. And then not only matching the dictionary and pulling out bits of the data, like he's looking at closed at and created at and comparing those. But using a comparison, so you grab the stuff and then say if some like if two things are equal, and in other in another example of uh, 
uh, if the who, if the login is the bot name, that's the, that's different. I don't want to do events that are based on my own actions, um, uh, do something else, but then proceed with it. So kind of some, a couple of cases where you doesn't want to do anything, but other cases where some action is required. So the, these are, um, is a pretty cool use case of, uh, it's, I just wanted to highlight that it's a really cool use case of using structural pattern matching to, to make some code that might be complicated other ways, a little simpler. So this isn't this too bad is to read. So much more interesting than the normal switched type statements I write with match these days. Yeah. It's like, we're looking for multiple things within the document and then applying a conditional on part of the matched things. And, oh, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about this in a, I've got sets of data where for each element I'm, I'm look, yeah, it's a bunch of nested if clauses to say, if, if this is true, if that's true and something like this might work really pretty good. So. Indeed, I'm going to try to make that uh, the the conditions here, like uh, the chapter art for this this chapter. So remember, <laughs> yeah. we have chapter items for all our topics, right? People can use that throughout the show. So yeah, very, very neat. Look nice. So look down at your podcast player before now. <laughs> I love that we we don't mention that a lot, but a lot of people uh, do um, appreciate the chapters. So we jump around. We do multiple topics, and you can use the chapters to get to them. So absolutely. Yeah. Or use them as reference. All right. Speaking of reference, Brian, I have extra, 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 extra times 10. Okay. Dense, but, and I know you got a lot of things as well. So I have so many extras that my next topic is the extra, 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 rather than having some follow-up stuff. Ready for it? Yeah. All right. Follow-up number one. We talked about switching DNS and how much of a pain that was last time and all the hassles <laughs> that we could run into. And it occurred to me, and there's some people out there like, Michael, obviously, we do this all the time. I suspect many people don't though. It occurred to me that there is your domain registrar, like GoDaddy, Hover, whatever, Namecheap, and they often have all the DNS settings for you. But you can create, you can use, there are services that are way better, it turns out, that host your actual DNS settings that have nothing to do with your registrar. What you gotta do is just go to your registrar and say, use this. So I use bunny.net for delivering the podcasts, for the courses, all sorts of things. And they have a DNS section that is super cool. So check this out, Brian. Um, we've done, in the last week I set this up, we've done ha over half a million DNS queries, not requests to the page, but like, hey, tell me who this is and we'll remember that for a while to your for your ISP. That's a lot of uh, DNS queries. A lot of people want to know what pythonbytes.fm is. That's exciting. But here, why is this so, why am I so excited? Like, look how nice and readable this is for people who um, are watching. That, uh, if you're not, it's like, it'll create a view of a TXT record. It'll like create um, <laughs> nested sections, go all of these records apply to this domain or that domain and so on. And then look over here at, you can edit all these here, but check this out. If I want to say like this, the CDN setting, maybe I'm working on it. And you know, what's a super hassle with DNS? Like I make a change please wait a couple hours and you can try it. If it doesn't work, it will be broken for a few hours and then you can fix it, right? What a hassle. Because yeah. uh, I don't, I migrated 25 domains. I know I messed some of them up. Not badly, but a little. So check this out. If you click here, you've got your one day, one hour typical time to live. It goes down to every 15 seconds. So if you're like working on something and you want to be able to like try, oh no, go ahead to quick, switch it back. Just set it to that for a while. Isn't that hmm. awesome? Yeah. The other thing you can do with this is you can write 
unfortunately, JavaScript, but you can write JavaScript that runs on every DNS request. So you can say things like, I know you asked what this is, but you're in Asia. So we're going to tell you that it's this server rather than that server. So you get a faster local machine and all sorts of interesting stuff here. This is free. What? Or <laughs> This is free for the first 20 million DNS lookups. And then it's like 10 cents per million. So for us, right, we're going to do, it looks like 2 million free. Right? We, we could get, be 10 times more popular before we pay a few cents. So the reason this is cool is you can set this up and then switch your domain. And then as soon as you just change the name, you can get it all dialed in. You don't have to have this kind of like awkward downtime in the middle. So people can check this out. There's other ones. Cloudflare has something similar. DigitalOcean has something similar. But uh, this one is super, super neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. Tony says similar to what you can do in Cloudflare. Yeah, they're both CDN providers. They both have like similar stories. Okay, I'm going to go faster now because I have more. Uh, I wrote a cool, say, uh, um, blog post type thing that shows you how to use uh, Warp to hide all your terminal secrets. Look at this, Brian. So here, welcome to Ubuntu. I'm not going to say what version. And uh, here's your IP addresses. We're not going to say what those are. But if, so if you're doing presentations that somehow involve working uh. with terminal stuff that might accidentally reveal something like what is an IP address that you shouldn't have or what is an API key or something. If you use warp, all you got to do is check a box and say, obscure all my secrets. And now your presentations are safer. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. So talked about warp before, but I that is new. I think it's a new feature. But anyway, it's cool. We also have a supporting developer in residence. Lucas Lenga says, welcome. We have uh, Peter Victorin now as a supporting developer and residents working with Lukash. So we now have two times the the help over there because uh, Lukash has been so successful keeping Python moving forward. They're now getting more folks. So that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. And they successfully cloned him. Yeah, they did. He's now an AI. No, just kidding. Uh, also, that was sponsored by Bloomberg. So shout out to Bloomberg for being excellent. Uh, Joe <laughs> sent us two things that are pretty funny. They're almost worthy of like a joke type of thing, but I thought I would just share them. So he decided to embody various songs through Python. So we have the Bohemian Rhapsody and we have Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. So remember, it's like, I just want my MTV, right? Da -da -da -da, money for nothing, all yeah. that. So they got the class MTV. I'm linking to the show notes. Of course, you can pull up, uh, you know, Starts out with self dot one equals nothing. Print money for nothing. Okay, <laughs> <Look at> what? <laughs> and then it goes. All I want is all I want is my MTV, and it sort of cycles through that. You know, look at those yo yos. That ain't working. Maybe get a blister on your little finger, right? It's got like working false, do true, money cost of zero. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Guys, dumb little blister. You know, guys, dumb as false, right? So if you kind of want to enjoy this uh, musical melody here. Does it run? Yeah. I'll have to try it out. I'm sure that it does run. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, OS.system <laughs> install microwave dash ovens. <laughs> oh, yeah. e echo. I mean, it custom, you know, custom kitchen deliveries, refrigerators, moving color TVs. <laughs> I don't know if I'd run it actually, but there's a similar <laughs> one for Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So, people what? can check that out. Don't you regularly just download random code and run it? Well, when I see OS move, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> By Cascades is coming to Seattle in 2024. Their call for proposals is out, so people can check that out. It's a fun conference. If you're in the Pacific Northwest or want to go to the Pacific Northwest, you can see the little banner wrapper thing. CFP is open. Okay. So some interesting nomenclature coming for us in the world is free-threaded Python. Have you heard this? 
free threaded Python? I didn't know we were charging for threads. I know. This one is like, it's a total freemium model. So with the no-gill work, with the sub-interpreter work, all these different ways in which Python runs more concurrently, uh, especially the no-gill stuff, there's um, a plan to basically call it free-threaded Python, not no-gill. Because no-gill is how it's free-threaded, but free-threaded is the point. <laughs> you know, it's like... Okay, yeah. Okay. I have a... a, a a gas exploding mobile. Like, I have a thing that drives. I care about the driving, not the gas exploding, right? Similar type thing here. So um, Seth Michael Larson points out that this has been blocked on PyPI to make way for, this is interesting, dis redistributions of the Python runtime compiled with the free-threaded mode, i.e. no gil. So one, we're calling it free-threaded Python. Two, you might be able to pip install Python. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's that one. Next, there's a very interesting letter, open letter to the Python South for Foundation from PyCon, Python Africa. And apparently there's been a lot of, I don't know what the right way to point it, uh, put it is, basically not that great a support for Python in Africa. I just want to sort of put this out there. They wrote it. People can check it out and, and read it, but would like, just would like to see better support for reaching out to folks in Africa and have the PSF maybe be a little bit better supporter for it. There's been a lot of contention around that. So check that out, people. It's worth okay. knowing. Okay. And then we have, oh yeah, it's it's not super congruent with the mission of the PSF on a couple of levels. One, like PSF is there to promote the Python language. And this is a lot of like, we need you to make this social change or you're not going to have a conference in Africa. Seems a little incongruent with the mission about supporting Python. I don't know. Uh, Python, moving on. Python 3.12.1, the first uh, major update of 3.12 is out. So people can check that out. It contains many new features and optimizations with over uh, more than 400 bug fixes. So we don't like bugs in our code and 400 of them, we definitely don't want that many. Yeah. Along with that came the 3.11.7 release. Okay. All right. Update your Pythons. Update your Pythons. Everybody gets their new Pythons. Final one. And this one could be a joke, but it's just too visual. It's really awesome. Um, let me make sure I credit this one correctly. So Johannes Lippmann, when he heard you talk about the obfuscated Python code contest, this is the first international one, by the way. Okay. Okay. The obfuscated Python code contest. He's like, I got to be part of this. So not only was he part of it, but he won. He won the most introspective of them all. Uh, it's beautiful, too. Check this out. So if we go here, it's literally the letters PY and a bunch of insane symbols in the most wild, wild way possible. Like this, if you open it up, it's just like ASCII art PY. Yeah. What this does when you run it is it Whoops, go back. When it annotates, there's always like, so you don't have to run it. You can just click the image. Is it basically annotates and colorizes the Xenopython? Oh, that's so that. cool. Yeah. And so you can check out other ones too, right? I haven't even looked at the most roundabout one. Um, He's also highlighting uh, which, which portions of the Xenopython his code is completely ignoring. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So these are fun and people can check them out. You got the image. Well, this one has a movie even. So instead of just a picture, the first, the winner. I guess it's not the number one winner. There's just different categories. The most puzzling is by Moshe. Oh, wow. And, and it's like a maze, which yeah, is, which that's is amazing. That is amazing. Oh, that was well done. Very well done. 
Okay, so that's it for all of my my extras. Okay. Over to you. That's my extra, extra, extra segment, which was very uh, extra. I just have a couple extras. Um, We've covered this before. Uh, Microsoft uh, Python for VS Code has a a December 23 release. Um, Actually, we haven't covered that. But looking in the, that came out on the 7th. Um, and the, within this December release has an announcement that, um, oh, there's a, oh yeah, I had it already highlighted. Um, the Python test adapter rewrite experiment. If you don't remember this, uh, it was back in, it started in, uh, June. Um, they, they did a change where, uh, they were working on, um, you had to, you had to opt in to the, the change of how, VS Code's test, how test discovery was working. Anyway, I reckon I always I, we covered it because I recommended everybody turn it on. Um, you sh- now that is being rolled out to 100% of the users. So now you have to opt out of it if you want to, if you don't want it, but don't opt out of it. The test discovery, just update your VS Code and you'll have better test discovery now. Super cool. The test discovery is so much better now than it was before. Um, thank you, everybody that worked on Python for VS Code or worked on this part of it. So that's pretty cool. The other extra I wanted to um, uh, to mention was um, was Daniel Roy Greenfield wrote a little tip, and I I always I kept meaning to do this, and I, I've always forgotten. So now this I'm going to do it this time is uh, set um, in my uh, shell script RC files set pip require virtual env to true, and that will make it so that if you try to pip install something and you're not in a virtual environment, it will it will not do it and it will just complain. Um, so I, I never mean to pip install anything unless I'm in a virtual environment. So this is, this is good. Um, I like this. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, there's a lot of these sort of environmental settings that can control things that are not entirely obvious, right? Yeah. Be a good, good blog post to write up some of the ones you should really know about. Yeah. Actually. Well, yeah. there you go. Fire Thanks. up your Hugo. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, those are my extras. So would you say you got to do a lot of research to maybe find all those particular environment variables stuff might really be overwhelming. So here, check out this joke, Brian. Okay. It comes to us from Ray on Mastodon. It's a sticker and I kind of want this sticker. It's got a bunch of tabs at the top. It says my brain has too many tabs open. Four of them are frozen and I have no idea where the music is coming from. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh. I have no idea where the music is coming from. That that happens to me so often. I guess it must happen to everybody so often. It's like there's music playing, and I have no idea which tab is playing music. Um, I know it. It it has like a little like a uh, speaker light icon that you can see if it's going. But yeah, I feel oh. like this little sticker describes both my Monday mornings and my Friday evenings or afternoons. It's like oh, I can't deal. It's like what is going on here? Too much in life. Yeah, that's funny. Well, we I, I need this sticker. I do too. So I do too. All right. Well, thank you for the episode as always. And thank you everyone for listening. Yes. Thank you.